Hello and welcome to the DanceCast, where I explore dance as an art form, traveling to non-traditional places and with non-traditional doers. I'm your host and my name is Silva Lapkainen. Hey Sara. Hi. How are you? Good. You have your fall vacation tomorrow and today. Yes. Are you excited? Yes. What are we gonna do? Um, I guess do a chemistry. Ooh. And um, play outside. Should we do some dancing? Yeah. We could do some dancing too. Do you want to listen to my podcast as well? Yes. Yay! So do you want to know more who my guest was in this episode? Yes. Yes. Okay, so here we go. Welcome to episode 32, in which I spoke with Julie Crothers, who is a freelance dancer, choreographer, and educator based in Oakland, California. She's born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Crothers studied dance and arts administration at Elon University in North Carolina. She moved to the Bay Area to join Axis Dance Company in 2014, where she worked for three years. Professionally, she has also worked with Renee Almiller Dances and Sarah Bush Dance Project. As a disabled choreographer, she's interested in discovering ways that dance can serve to break down barriers and confuse biases, fueling a community that is more empathetic, connected and real. In 2018, Julie was selected as Emerging Artist-in-Residence at Shoal Anderson Dance Center. As well as summer, she was a summer resident artist at Deborah Slater Dance Theatre Studio 210. She was also feedback, uh, chosen to be a feedback artist in Joe Good Performance Group's feedback program and was a choreographer in Axis Dance Company's Pilot Choreo Lab. Here is Julie telling more about her work in the field for the past year. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Julie, welcome to Dancecast. Hey. Thank you. How do I pronounce your last name? Crothers, like brothers, but with a k. Crothers? Yeah. Is perfect. it a French last name? Uh, no, I don't think I have any French in my family. Maybe oh. Scottish? Ah, okay, okay. I think I think my ancestors are from the ancient Scottish land of Carruth. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And then they changed the spelling. Like everybody. Anyways. Yeah. Like my husband's last name, they used to be Lotax, L-O-H-T-A-K. And then when they came uh-huh. to America, they changed it to Lowell. But I think Lotax would have been so much cooler. Yeah. How do you say your last name? My last name is Laukkanen. Laukkanen. That's it. That's perfect. Cool. <laughs> Great. And are are you in in the Bay Area still? Yeah, I'm in Oakland. How how are you? I'm good. How is Oakland? Oakland is um good. It's relaxed. I feel like my past year because I left Axis a year ago, so really over the past year I've come to know the Bay Area a little bit better because I've had more time and space and like less feeling like I'm in a little bubble. Yeah. So I've gotten, I feel a lot more connected to the, um, to your surroundings. Oakland and the scene and my connections and it's been good. So I, I dig Oakland. I plan to be here for a bit. And you're from Tennessee? 
I am from Tennessee. Yeah. And did, did you move for your job from X? I did, yeah. Okay. I graduated college um, in North Carolina and then moved to Oakland right after that to join Axis. And were you with Axis longer than a year? Three years. Oh, you were with them three years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 2014 to 2017, July. Well, that's a good run. Yeah, totally. Great run. Yeah. And are you freelancing now? I am totally freelancing, yeah. And uh, saw... Over the past... Yeah. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Over the past year, I've been focusing a lot more on digging into my own choreography, which has been wonderfully um, satisfying and fulfilling in different ways. And I've been teaching a lot more. So, Do you enjoy teaching? I love teaching. Yeah, you were mentioning something about the the challenge of teaching integrated dance classes, actually, in a, yeah. in a, in a truly integrated way. Do you have any good tips? I know um, I'm putting you in a terrible spot. Like, <laughs> give us all your tips. <laughs> tips. Uh, it's just a, a, a real mindfulness. I, I Where I get stuck is when I try and take something that totally exists and make it work for an integrated population. I think there's a greater responsibility on the teacher's behalf to um, be thoughtful of if I'm doing a leg swing and my leg swing finishes front and then someone's using their arm as their leg in that sense and then I want to turn to go to the left there's like an extra shift that isn't necessary so how about I make the choice to make the shift turn go to the right because that makes more sense and that's really exciting for me to think about not to say that translating an existing technique just as it is to an integrated population is in any way not the way to do it because that's equally as important but I have fun as a teacher with those little challenges Yeah, to be super creative with your thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I always love the thing of like thinking, why why am I doing this? Like what what am I trying to teach here? What is the idea of this leg swing? Yeah. Because yeah. if you don't have a leg, why are we doing this? Then I right. have to be able to explain myself in that way too. Yeah. That is really cool. And so you graduated from Elon University in North Carolina with your BFA sure in did. dance performance and choreography. <laughs> You got it. I did my research. <laughs> <laughs> and you, this summer, you were at the Deborah Slater Dance Theater Summer Residency Program. Yeah. How is that working? Yes. That was fantastic. Um, so, was it something? It's for June you... and July. Okay. You apply, uh, two people are chosen, and then essentially for June and July, you get unlimited almost studio space at her space studio 210 in the mission which is a lovely little theater um studio and then there's a performance at the end of july where we are each able to present up to 30 minutes of work and then there's facilitated feedback conversations following and it's very open in that she doesn't expect us to necessarily present a finished polished thing but mm -hmm. it's free space and time and mentorship to research and try out new things and then see how it's received by just throwing it on an audience. So I got a lot out of that residency. Um, is the second hand part of what you were working yeah. there? Yeah, second hand is what I started there. Oh, I, I very see. much still see it as a, a, a work in progress for a long time. Um, so yeah, what I showed at me? the Yeah, about I'll tell you a little bit. about secondhand. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. I 
I had a box in the top of my closet at my parents' house. It was full of prosthetic arms from when I was five months old till about 21 when I stopped wearing them. And over the process of choosing to stop wearing the prosthetic, I made a piece that helps me come to terms with why I was making that choice. And it was very emotional and dramatic and all of these things. And I don't need to do that anymore, but I still had all these arms in the box in the closet. And I was like, this is interesting. And I feel like being in Oakland, the only place I've ever lived that nobody here knows me as someone who wears an arm or ever wore an arm, I kind of had this little secret in my box um, and creatively was very inspired by them and coming up with lots of things that um, I felt were new. And so I pulled out my box and I used all summer to explore some of the more abstract uses of prosthetic arms other than actual arms. I primarily always wore them not uh, for any function per se, but more of an aesthetic choice to want to appear more similar to everyone else. So it was really fun to do the opposite of that and think like, oh, this arm could double as a uh, a pot. I could I could plant some pots in this, or plant, yeah, pot some plants in this pot. Or I could scratch my back or I can (laughs) pretend it's a toy plane or a baby or a puppet or a shadow puppet. And that was a lot of fun. And then I was really curious physically into exploring gestures that I either hold space for what I imagine to be an arm or gestures that I have an arm on or ones that I don't, because I find in any dance setting that I'm in today, I have the fun job of making that choice. Sometimes I do my circles just like this and leave that space because I am familiar with how much space an arm takes up. Um, And other times it's more fun to translate it a little bit differently where I treat the end of my arm, which I call my nub, as the actual end. And what are cool, what are uh, things that my body uniquely does, highlighting that a bit. Um, And I'm also very theatrical. And I like to talk on stage and I like to sing on stage. And so I had a really fun time exploring how I could share parts of my story with this audience in the Bay. Um, And yeah, I did that. It was fun. It felt kind of like my big coming out solo. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. So did you perform it for the second time as well? Was I reading that right? Was there a second showing of it already or no? Not yet. Um, There were two performances at the end of July where I got to do the full 30 minutes. And then this past weekend, I performed at a friend's like um, informal showing in her parents' backyard where I focused more on the narrative bit where I'm not dancing so much, but I'm using these arms as props and telling the story of little anecdotes of what prosthetic arm life was like in the 1990s. (laughs) Uh, And then next weekend, I'm performing at Shaw Anderson Dance Center in Berkeley, where I work at their fall salon. I'm doing an excerpt where I wear, I have a very realistic arm, like incredibly realistic looking. Um, And I wear that and I uh, have a little solo, five minute solo of movement that's all wearing that arm, which is really interesting to me because I only got into choreography after I stopped wearing the prosthetic. So it was super fun to explore movements 
with the prosthetic that were still unique to me and blurring the lines between which is the real arm and which is the fake arm and how well can I make my real side resemble my fake side or what are some gestures suddenly that I can do now that I have two hands in front of my face, even if one's fake, like I, I never do, or I'm not, yeah, I never do very intricate hand gestures much, but I found a lot when I was wearing the arms. So I'm excited to do that. I'm interested in chopping the piece up a bit into little, into more snack size bits, which are a little more realistic for performance opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Excited for that next weekend. Yeah, I really, I, I got, two years ago, we started a project mm-hmm. with a friend of mine. And for the first time, I have repeating, like, parts of it. Yeah. Which is, and like, the, the, how, to see how the parts grow is really, really fantastic. Because you really yeah. never repeat anything the same way anyway. Right. So it's always, like, a process of growing and changing. And yeah. And the context totally changes depending on what you had done before or after it. Like when I was just doing the narrative part this past weekend, it felt incredibly vulnerable and awkward. And it was funny, but it wasn't funny at all because I realized like, oh, these people don't know me. Like they haven't seen me at all. As opposed to in the larger context, they had seen me dance and knew that this piece was about arms and things. And this was just like a random audience. And then I dropped my arm down and they're like, oh, oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> so it's interesting, like, how you gauge audience comfort levels and how you, like, um, reel them in and, and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to share one of your arm stories right now? Oh, oh, yeah, I do. Let's see. Uh, Now I'm like, I have so many, but they're so broad and all over the place. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I'll tell you when I was, um, what, 10 for my Halloween costume. After church, I asked my grandma to take me to Target. And we got some camouflage pants and a green shirt and a beanie and some boots. And then I go home and I cut holes in the pants and the shirt. And I had all my little arms when I was a baby. And I stuck them through the holes. And I taped them so they wouldn't fall out. And then I was like, Mom and Dad, look, for Halloween, I was a army girl. Oh! Get it? <laughs> that is a really good one. I yeah. love that. I love that. So do I you, found you. So do you, when you take class for yourself, do you now prefer to do it with or without the prosthetic? I definitely prefer to do it without. Um, do, you, do you identify I don't, more like that? Yes, Definitely. The only time I really wear the prosthetic nowadays is I have a, a arm I recently got that doesn't really resemble a hand at all, but it has this aluminum base and this strap thing. So I wear it for yoga or like weight bearing things. It's really helpful oh. for developing the balancing muscles. Um, so I wear that one. And then I've recently been wearing it just in the studio as I'm creating on myself. But I find, or I found when I first stopped wearing them that my movement was so much more expansive and that I could portray so much more through the energy at the end of my arms than I could like actually filling in the space. Like the brain does a better job of connecting 
the lines between the thing when it's flowing and moving than when there's a stagnant something in the middle. And I think that's a lovely metaphor for a lot of things. So, yeah, I feel a little protective of them, too. I don't want to I probably won't get any more. So if I'm going to keep doing this piece, I probably need to keep them in pretty good shape. So I shouldn't wear them to dance class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So what was that first coming out uh, yeah. solo about? Well, how that old were was, you when you decided to stop using them? I was 20, mm-hmm. so six years ago. And I was at Bates Dance Festival as an intern yeah. in Maine. And it was kind of the first time in my life that anyone had addressed me and been like, why do you wear it? Or I was in an improv class and we were doing the exercise where someone stands in the middle of a small circle and they lean different directions and you absorb their weight and press them back. And the teacher, Heidi Henderson, she's like, can you feel with that? And I was like, no, I can't feel with this. Like, uh, and she's like, well, I wonder what would happen if you didn't wear it tomorrow. And I was like, Oh God. Okay. But in at Bates and that whole summer, I felt so uh, supported and it's an incredible community. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll try it. So I did. And that opened up so many uh, emotions and opportunities for new movements that I had never considered and a new sense of comfort and acceptance over the body that I actually had. Um, and a lot of questioning over, you're right. Why, why did I wear this arm? Why do I wear this arm? Where am I going? What do I want to do? How do I see myself as an artist and a mover? And so that summer I, um, choreographed my first solo, not wearing it. It was very much like, um, kind of like a self declaration of here I am, here's what I'm doing. It also had a little bit of a monologue at the end um, and it was very empowering to share and kind of broke down a lot of barriers. So then going back to college, I was really um, hesitant because I was like, oh, well, I don't know how my professors are going to react to this. Like, am I expected to be too warm dancer? Is this weird? Is this a place where I can continue this path that I've now found myself on? And so I would only not wear my arms on Fridays. And then it turned into like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I wouldn't wear an arm. And then I finally just asked my teachers, like, what do you think? And they're like, do whatever you want. That's great. You're fantastic. Like, I don't care. Um, Yeah. And so then I kind of stopped altogether. And that's when I got into more improvisation and really feel like I started to see myself as a dancer dancer and not so much as like a I'm a dance major so that I can become a teacher because I'll never actually dance kind of like I have a unique message and I have a body that can do things that no one else can and I'm gonna use it and is that the time when you uh, learned about axes um, how did you learn about them I learned about them on the internet when I was a kid I remember uh-huh. sending like a a contact us page forum, you know, like a, hi, I'm Julie. I don't have an arm. I think your company's really cool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it was a, yeah. (laughs) So I, I, I was considering it and it timed out well that there was an audition the spring of my senior year 
So I flew out here in April. Um, welcome to Oakland and then joined the company that following July. So oh, it was, okay. it was also kind of a like, Oh wow, this is happening and I'm, I'm doing this. Um, and then I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. That's amazing. And what is the, is there a right terminology? Cause I know how like terminology in this field, I feel like is so complicated yeah. to begin with. Um, and is there like, what is your disability? What is your preferred term for your disability? Um, I am very open. Okay. I suppose how I refer to myself most is Julie with an arm and a half. Like I have one and a half arms, just like that's what it is. Technically, um, limb difference or limb deficient is like a term I see more but I don't growing up I was always just like I have a nub I have mm -hmm. one and a half arms um they thought that I, I was born this way so a lot of my reasoning with it as a kid was I had amniotic band syndrome which often affects hands or feet or digits but I don't know if that's completely true. It could have been something else. There's like some other medical term. Um, so yeah, I'm just Julie with an arm and a half. Julie Sometimes I say I'm missing, I'm missing half an arm. And there's some conversation around like, should you use the word missing? Cause you never had it. And I don't really think that hard about it. I'm just like, well, uh -huh. I am missing it compared to the larger population, um, population of two handed bodies. Yeah. Yeah. The only time so, anyone's ever offended me was when this, this kid came, comes up to me and he's like, I know that's a balloon. And I was like, a balloon? And he's like, yeah, I know that's a balloon. And he genuinely believed that my half arm, little arm, left arm, was a balloon. And I have this tiny hand on the end. And he's like, that's the part where the balloon ties off. And I was like, no, it's not a balloon. This is my body. I wasn't actually offended, but I had never heard anything quite that um, s silly. Right? That's weird. He was good. I should, I should give him credit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that is, that is, a, that is an interesting association. It's an interesting one. Yeah. yeah. I deal a lot when I'm teaching, or I, over the past year, as I've been teaching more, I teach a lot of three, four, five, six-year-olds. Um, and exploring different ways of explaining it to them so that they'll be able to like come to terms with it and then move on and not be totally distracted <laughs> for the rest of the semester. Um, and then all of them will like put their arms in their sleeves and be like, well, Miss Julia, I only have one arm too. Or I subbed for a class last week and then their actual teacher came in and they were like, wait a minute, you have two arms. And it was like, it was weird to them because their actual teacher had two arms because they were used to me. And I was like, yes, normalizing difference in body <laughs> type. That is amazing. Um, that is so, really good. Yeah, the, the, the more comfortable I am with it and when I just like put it in their face and be like, look, you can touch, you can squeeze everything we can do today and then we won't anymore. Kids are very um, capable of of okay cool yep yeah yeah kids are amazing like that I yeah. remember um 
long time ago teaching a workshop in a visual arts camp for children and they were talking about nature so I just showed different dance clips that were dancing about nature or mm-hmm. in the nature and one of them was um, mixed ability choreography and no? we would always just talk about it like what do you see what's different from this than the other one and with the mixed ability none of the children ever said one of them is in a wheelchair or like mm-hmm. they never pointed out the fact that the bodies were moving differently awesome and I, I that was so powerful to me yeah like they're like oh there is more trees in the background or like you know just like very normal things and never yeah. about the, the the way of actually moving was pointed out so yeah children are amazing yeah they are <laughs> So, Julie, what is your dreams? What do you want to achieve? What is your next steps? My dreams? Um, As a dancer and choreographer. Yeah. Right. right. I'm happy to I talk figured, about I figured all as much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm most interested in beginning to set and create choreography on other bodies. I've done that some, but most of the research I've done over the past couple of years has just been on myself, by myself which I'm interested in. And a lot of my work is very based in autobiographical things. And I don't know exactly how that translates on other bodies, but I'm, I'm feeling a little antsy and interested in getting some more bodies in the room with me and getting um, that presented. And I, uh, okay. Clarifying my thoughts before I speak. (laughs) That's one. Um, I am I am working on that too. <laughs> yeah, I'd like I feel very new as a choreographer and I feel like every piece I've made I look back on a month later and be like, "Oh, this is what I learned from that experience and this is what I'm going to do different in the next." And it's nice it's a nice place to be and a kind of pressure I can take off myself to feel like everything I make right now has to prove to the world exactly what I am and what I'm about and what I'm going to make. When it's like I'm I'm learning and I have a voice that's different than anyone else's voice and I have a craft and I'm practicing it and it's something that I am very interested and committed to continuing to develop. So definitely choreography, which I may not have considered as strongly a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. is something I am going to do. And excited to do. Um, Are you still dancing with Liv? Is that uh, dedi- dedi- dedication? Dedication. Is that yeah. still happening? Liv's dedication is very much still happening. Um, I, I worked with her on her most recent um, video aspect that she made. So she's doing incredible things with her research into dedication. And I am a... Um, strong supporter and friend along her side through that, which is a really special place to be. And I have no doubt that in the future we will have more um, collaborations into our own work mm-hmm. and into each other's work. And yeah, yeah. So anybody, if you want a fresh new choreographer to work uh, on you, get in touch with Julie. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but you're planning on staying in the Bay Area. Your home is there now. I am for now. I don't. 
I don't see myself being here forever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot other places I'd like to live. I think I'd like to live somewhere a bit smaller. Um, I would like to go back to school one day, maybe in the Bay, maybe not. Um, right now, I'm just taking it a bit at a time. And how did I? I never knew that you uh, uh, involved text and talking and singing. To yeah. Your work. How did how did you get introduced to that work? Or was it just um, something you always wanted to do? I don't. I can't remember like seeing a piece that I was like, "Oh, I want to do that too." But it. I've. I mean, ever since I was, like, first beginning to choreograph in college, I always felt like there was something else. It often brings a humorous element into my work, mm-hmm. which uh, I think I'm, I think I do a good job of. I really like um, writing, mm-hmm. and I I found that, there's something else that I'm trying to say that the dance can't say on its own, which like a lot of times that's the opposite where like you dance because the words don't say enough. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think through speaking and through text, I'm able to uh, involve a little bit more of the actual person on this stage, Mm -hmm. that it's not just this dancer who's ethereal and on some other level than us like lay people who are observing. Um, so I find through text it connects to the audience at a different level, and it also makes the dance more accessible to any audience. Like I could, or which I'm interested in. Um, some people will be like, "Oh, I don't like dance. I don't get it." And I'm like, "Okay, well, maybe you don't get it, or you don't think you get it, but you're getting something out of it." And then if you, I tell you a joke, then you get it. <laughs> yeah, so kind of. Sure blurring the boundaries a bit but I've also just always been very into theater and I have a lot of accents and I talk a lot I like to rhyme what is your best accent oh Silva oh come on (laughs) (laughs) um I don't know I really don't know you'll have to ask my friends okay 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 can you imitate (laughs) accents easily no not on the spot Okay. I'll do it. I'll I'll speak, and then someone who doesn't know me will be like, "Wait, where are you from?" And I'll be like, "Tennessee." And they're like, "Oh, <laughs> I would never have guessed that." <laughs> <laughs> because I I was just asking because speaking in front of an audience is something uh, that I it's so hard for me. Yeah. Oh God, I hate it. It's like a, <laughs> totally like a not my comfort zone at all. Yeah, that's common. Yeah, so I'm always uh, in awe, and I, because I do, I see the value in mm-hmm. the, the spoken word on the piece. Um, so easily, it gives another dimension that mm-hmm. eases you as an observer. Yeah. So I really value it as an observer, but as a doer, oof, God. <laughs> I love it. I will. I, one of my favorite pieces that I did with Axis was a, a Joe Good piece called To Go Again. And it was using text from veterans and their families' stories um, by them through that we got through interviews. 
and there were different sections where each of us would have monologues while there was coinciding dance happening. And there was a little bit of a song at the end, but I had such a kick, such a great time working on that text and putting on this persona of someone other than myself and thinking about how their brain might be working as they're delivering these words. And then every performance, that getting to be a little different. A lot of time dance is like you're trying to do it the same every time, or at least in a rep company, that's often the case. But with uh, text, there's a a whole nother level to explore. Hmm. I find that with myself too. Like even now looking back on the text in second hand, I already am thinking of like ways that my delivery of it the first time did and didn't work and how I can deliver it differently. And that change in delivery can say something totally different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And well, I read you, there were some very positive and interesting uh, writings about your work that came Mm -hmm. out of the summer. So it seems like you're in a good momentum and kick. uh, Yeah. Uh, in in the Bay Area yeah I this year the past year I've had a lot of residencies which has been really fantastic um what else did you do what else did I do I'm an artist in residence at Shaw Anderson which is where I also teach so that's very convenient I love that community so I get space there which is nice Mm. in March and April I was a feedback artist at Joe Good performance group. They have something called the feedback series where they choose eight choreographers and we get hours in the space. And then halfway through the process, we have a feedback day where we share our works with each other and get feedback from each other as well as Joe and the company members. And then there's a performance at the end Hmm. where the audience writes um, on slips of paper after every piece responses to a specific question that we asked them. Um, so I developed a, a work for that process that was about my, that was based on about over 500 love letters that were written to my grandmother in the 1940s from 11 different guys. So it goes from this like sappy, adorable love story to like, hold on a second. Grandma was a fox, right? Yeah. So finding those letters, I was like, there's a, definitely a piece here and through reading them, I came to learn like that there was so much more in common that I had with her than I ever would have expected because I only knew her as like the sweet 70-year-old woman. But I'm learning about this feisty, funny lady um, with a personality. And yeah, so I did that for July or for in April. And I'm working on that currently to present it again in Washington in February. So I'm excited for that. And yeah, that and the Studio 210 residency. Yeah. So it's been a, a big year, a big push. There's a lot, there's many more people in this community that I feel I can trust and rely on for mentorship and feedback on things, which is a very comforting place to be as someone who's just, in many ways, I feel just starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It, it was really lovely to read because I feel like you're really seen as a contributing artist to the scene. Um, mm-hmm. Even though, like you said, you're just a year off of being a um, company dancer with Axis and just yeah. starting as your own. So congratulations on that. Thank you, Silva. <laughs> I cannot wait to see what else you are going to come up with. 
Me too. <laughs>